Welcome to Life Study of the Bible, brought to you by Living Stream Ministry. These programs are based on the ministry of Witness Lee and his 21-year crowning work, The Life Study of the Bible, which focuses on the enjoyment of Christ as the divine life as revealed in the Bible. We hope that through these studies you'll be brought into a deeper enjoyment of the Scriptures and of our dear and precious Lord Jesus. You can contact us by sending email to radio at lsm.org or reach us toll-free, 888-LIFE-STUDY. Now, let's join today's program. God's selection is not according to our work, our effort, our labor, but altogether it is of God who shows mercy. We're glad to welcome you once again to the Life Study of the Bible with Witness Lee, a program that's provided by Living Stream Ministry in Anaheim, California. Witness Lee began the life study of the Bible in 1974, and these programs provide us an opportunity to present selected portions of the classic unfolding of these riches of God's Word, as originally spoken by Witness Lee. Francis Ball is with us once again to discuss the life study of Romans, and Francis, I'd like to thank you for being here today. I'm very happy to be here, Chris. Thank you. We begin a new chapter in our life study of Romans today, Francis. And this isn't just a new chapter. This really marks a whole new section of Romans, doesn't it? Yes, this is definitely a new section of this very important epistle. At the beginning of this life study of Romans, Brother Lee pointed out the sections of this book. Already we have covered the section on condemnation. Uh, this section showed us that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God and are really under condemnation. And this was followed by the section on justification. And this happily pointed out how God's wonderful way in which he justifies us freely through the redemption of Christ Jesus can be our experience and justifies us before God. Then uh, in the section on sanctification, he pointed out the wonderful way that we have the freedom in the Spirit by the indwelling of Christ showing us in chapter 8 that we are heirs of glory and we'll be conformed to the image of Christ, the firstborn Son of God. So we saw at the end of that chapter, nothing can separate us from the love of God. In one sense, in this chapter, chapter 9, it opens up uh, the beginning of three chapters, 9, 10, and 11, that apparently are like a parenthesis between chapter 8 and chapter 12. And some Bible teachers have considered that they are a parenthesis, and chapter 12 actually follows chapter 8. But in a very real sense, Paul is not confused, and this chapter does continue the development of what he brings out in the previous sections and the previous chapters. This section is on the subject of selection and shows us that all the benefits we receive in Christ are because of His mercy and His sovereignty. We will see that our obtaining so much from God is due to His sovereign selection, and not due to our will or our working. In other words, 
Our being selected is of God, of God who wills, and of God who shows mercy. I'm anxious to get into this message. As am I. Let's go right to it, Francis. Here's Witness Lee with today's life study. Well, anyhow, we have passed through Romans 8 by his mercy. Uh, now we come to another section, the section of God's selection. God's selection is our destiny. Our eternal destiny has been fully set up by God's selection. This selection or this destiny is, first of all, of the very God who wills. It is not of anyone who wills, it is not of anyone who runs, but of the very God who calls, who shows mercy. For this point, we need to read through the first 13 verses. Verse 2, that I have great grief and unceasing pain in my heart. What is this? This is a campaign for his kinsmen to be saved. Verse 3, For I was praying that I myself would be cursed. Paul was praying that he would be a curse. Separated from Christ for my brothers, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. Paul prayed this way. And I have to tell you, even for eternity, probably this prayer would not be answered absolutely in full. Why I say this? Because Paul's intention was to see that all the Jews would be saved. But through so many centuries, many Jews are lost. What does this mean? This simply means, regardless how spiritual you would be, or how spiritual you could be, and how much in your spirit you still may have something out of yourself. And I don't believe that Paul prayed that he would be a curse, and this was something out of the Lord. I don't think the Lord demanded Paul to pray this way. But who did this? Paul. Because Paul had too much love for his kinsmen. What I mean is, don't you believe in so many prayers, you have too much desire for certain things. And that too much desire caused you to pray something which could never be fully, wholly answered by God. She prayed this in verse 3. Then when she comes to verse 6, she gets into God's economy. And God's economy is a little different. I say a little different, just politely. It's somewhat, at least, to some extent, different from Paul's desire. Paul desired that well, all his kinsmen would be saved. But when he comes to God's economy, he added a word, however. When he was 
calm down a little bit. And uh, he came to verse 6. He said, not however, as though the word of God has come to naught. For not all are Israel who are out of Israel. All the Jews are born of Israel. But not all of them have been selected by God. Verse 9, so this is the word of promise. About this time next year I will come, and Sarah shall have a son. And not only so, but Rebekah also having conceived of one, Isaac, our father. The children not yet being born, nor having been anything good or bad, that the purpose of God, according to his selection, may remain, not of works, but of him who calls, that this purpose may remain. It was said to her, the greater shall serve the less. And it is written, Jacob I love, but Esau I hate. My, the word is too strong. We always think God only loves, never hates. But here it says God hates. How about this? Jacob I love, Esau I hate. Well, this is all due to God's selection. So the selection that determines our destiny is not of our work, but of the very God who calls. Francis, Paul's word here, actually his short prayer, shows us a lot. His intensive love of his kinsmen, the nation of Israel, caused him to pray something that did not completely correspond to God's economy. What are we really seeing here? Well, this has been kind of a, a mystery to a lot of Bible students, but we're seeing in this portion, the portion just covered by Brother Lee, that Paul is not only a real lover of Christ, but also being a Hebrew himself, and considering all the children of Israel as his brothers, he really loves his people. And he has expressed a desire in his prayer in this chapter that really goes, I would say, beyond God's economy. We see a man whose heart is really burdened that God's salvation would be granted to all of his kinsmen. He was desperate. He was a desperate man even to the extent that he prayed that he might be a curse and separated from Christ if it would mean that his brothers would be saved. He saw that the Israelites were given so much. You see in these few verses that they have the sonship, they have the glory, they have the covenants, they have the law with its services and promise, and even the fact that Christ had come through his people according to the flesh. He was desperate to the point of praying according to his own feelings and his own desire, but not so much at that particular point in the light of God's economy. For example, to make it applicable, you might say a brother may be praying for his wife who is seriously ill, 
praying desperately in every way, even with fasting. The Lord may answer his prayer, but not according to his way. It's no doubt a commendable thing that any of us would have such a heart of love and desperation for other people. But God is God, and it's his selection that counts. So our burden and even our prayer must be balanced and governed by God's purpose and according to his economy. Right away, Paul realized that not all who are out of Israel are really Israel as the children of God. This involves God's sovereignty, God's mercy, and also God's selection. Paul writes, Those who are the children of the flesh are not the children of God, but the children of the promise are reckoned as the seed. He quickly called back the fact that all of the Israelites would not be saved, but a remnant would be saved. So his burden was for every individual. But God's purpose was not that way. So we have to learn how to pray in the light of God's purpose and God's economy. Thank you, Francis. This is not an easy point, and as you said, it has stumbled or at least uh, caused many Bible students to question in the past. I appreciate your response. Let's go back to Witness Lee for more of our life study. Verse 15. For she says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. I will. That's all. That's all. Don't argue with him. You are not God. You don't have the sovereignty, but he has. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. Well, it's hard to tell you the difference between mercy and compassion. But the only thing I believe is that compassion is something deeper, something finer, something richer. In verse 16, so then, it is not of the one who wills, nor of the one who runs, but of God, the one who shows mercy. And we all have to know, mercy goes farther than grace. You know, when I am in good condition, preaching in your situation, then you give me a gift that is called grace. But when I am in a poor situation, my situation is far, far beyond yours. I just cannot stand in your presence. I'm so pitiful, so poor. Then you give me something. I tell you, that is not grace. That is mercy. Say, you are my dear friend. And you are in a better situation than I am. I give you a Bible. And this gift is a grace. Why? Because it is free. But suppose you are just a poor beggar and I give you $100. And this is not only grace. This would have gone a little farther. This is a mercy. So you see, the mercy reaches farther. Grace only go to the place that corresponds with my situation. But mercy goes 
much, much farther to some kind of a situation that never corresponds with my situation. Do you know, according to our natural situation, we are too far from God's situation. We are not worthy of God's grace. We are only good for His mercy. So here it doesn't say, I will have grace uh, whom I will have grace. Uh, I will give grace to whom I will give grace. But it says, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. You may say, I don't see anything good with Jacob. He's so poor, so dirty. Esau is much better than him. But God says, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. He's poor, he's pitiful, but I have the mercy. My mercy goes beyond the grace. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. So it is not of the one who rules, nor of the one who runs, but of God, the one who shows mercy. So then, he has mercy on whom he wills, and he hardens whom he wills. Everything is up to what he wills. What will we say? And we have nothing to say. Francis, this is a precious, very precious point. And once again, not at all doctrinal, but really applicable to our situation. This realization, I would say even revelation of God's mercy being able to reach farther than even His grace. Yes, Chris, I can remember when we were in this life study and the live life study itself, when Brother Lee brought this point out, I guess I breathed a real sigh of relief and thanksgiving to realize how I got brought to the Lord was by God's far-reaching mercy. For God to select such fallen, lowly sinners as we is really His mercy. In response to that, I can just say hallelujah for God's mercy. Without God's mercy reaching us to rescue us from our low, even our despicable situation, we would not be in any position or any condition to appreciate His love or to receive His grace. In these days, through the radio, through a lot of means, you hear a lot about God's love. And uh, many times it is not in consideration of God's sovereignty, God's selection, but just a kind of a soothing feeling to make people appreciate God's love. And certainly we must appreciate God's love. But without God's mercy reaching us to rescue us from our low condition and our low situation, we wouldn't be able to appreciate His love and receive His grace. Now this is quite a revelation to see how far-reaching God's mercy is. We must realize that God is holy and God is righteous. For Him to provide a way to reach us really is His great mercy. To select us, to lift us out from under the condemnation, the condemnation that His righteousness requires, this is mercy indeed. We must treasure God's mercy as much as we appreciate His grace. It's always God's mercy that qualifies us to participate in His grace. 
So we say again, God's selection is not according to our work, our effort, our labor, but altogether it is of God who shows mercy. Francis, I had the same reflection that you mentioned when you began your response regarding my own experience of salvation and the same realization how far God's mercy is able to extend his love. Amen. That is precious, isn't it? It surely is. Let's rejoin Winnis Lee. We have a conclusion to go. Now we come to third main point, that is, God's selection is of his sovereignty. It is of God's sovereignty to make his glory known by vessels of mercy to contain himself. This is a deep word. Sovereignty, glory, vessels, and to contain God himself. God's sovereignty to make his glory known by some of the vessels of his mercy to contain God himself. And this sovereignty is the cause, the base of God's selection. God's selection is based upon God's sovereignty. And we have to read verses 19 through 29. Let's read carefully. 19. You will say to me then, why does he still find fault? For who has resisted his purpose? The answer is, but O man, who are you? that replies against God. Who are you? Just a piece of clay. Shall the thing formed say to him who formed it, Why did you make me thus? I think I have no better definition. You just take pause. Verse 21. Or has not the potter authority over the clay? Who are you? You are just a piece of clay. And God is the potter, out of the same lamb, to make one vessel to honor. Praise God. One vessel to honor, and the other to dishonor. Surely God the potter has the authority over the clay. If he lacks, he just makes me a vessel to honor. If he lacks, he just makes me a vessel to dishonor. It's not up to me. It's up to him. Verse 22. What if God, willing to show, listen to this verse, show forth his wrath and to make his power known, endured with much long suffering, vessels of wrath fated for destruction? What would we say? We have nothing to say. He is the potter. We human beings are just a clay. He has authority, but we don't. It's up to his authority. Verse 23. And what if he should make known the riches of his glory? Not the rock, but the riches of his glory upon vessels of mercy, which he had before prepared unto glory. 
not only unto honor, but also unto glory. Vessels of mercy unto honor and also unto glory. Even us, whom he has also called, not only from among the Jews, but also from among the nations. What shall we say? We have nothing to say but hallelujah. Well, Francis, from a very touching and sweet point of God's mercy to one of great depth and penetration, how should this influence us to realize that we are but the clay and God is the potter who rightfully assumes absolute authority over the clay to fashion it as it pleases him? You made a good point, Chris. This is deep and it is penetrating. We may even raise up some question such as the one presented by Paul in this portion when he suggests that some may say, Why does God still find fault? For who has resisted his purpose? That's a quote from this chapter. That kind of question is really an argument against God. Paul replies, Who are you, old man, that replies against God? I don't think this is an easy lesson for us to take. We like to have the right to question even God and even question His sovereignty and His authority. But we must realize that God is the potter and we are the clay. In this illustration, in this chapter, it mentions clearly that God is the potter and we are the clay. He is the creator and we are the creatures. He has authority to make a vessel according to his sovereign will and purpose. He makes one a vessel of honor, and he makes another a vessel of dishonor. What can we say? We must say, Hallelujah. Just say, Hallelujah, Lord. I trust your authority, and I believe in your sovereignty. Thank you, Lord, for selecting me and making me a vessel of honor. If you're a believer, you can say, Hallelujah. You selected me, and I believe in you. Thank you, Lord, for selecting me and making me a vessel of honor. I believe in you. That kind of simple prayer, Francis, will put a stop to these wild racing questions that many times fly through our minds. Thank you for the exhortation. Thank you for listening to Life Study of the Bible with Witness Lee, brought to you by Living Stream Ministry. These programs consist of excerpts from Witness Lee's spoken ministry, along with our discussion and comments, and all focusing on God's heart's desire that we would enjoy Christ as the divine life for man. These Life Study messages show us that every book of the Bible reveal that enjoying Him in this way will bring us to the goal of our salvation. There are more than 1,700 programs like this one available online free of charge that you can download, stream live, or add to your podcast subscription. Just visit our website, lsmradio.com. That's lsmradio.com. You can also reach us by email, radio 
at lsm.org. Thanks for listening today.